all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to be talking about the three macronutrients, right? The big components of our diet and what ratios we should be eating those in and really the overall nutrient package. So if you have a question or a comment about how to build a healthy meal and a healthy plate, email us fit at mpbonline.org. All right, so I'm going to start with kind of what are macronutrients? Well, when we think about food and nutrition, we can roughly break things down into macronutrients. And macro, of course, means big. So the, the big building blocks of our nutrition. And then micronutrients. And micronutrients are largely what we think of as things like vitamins and minerals. And I'm going to cover those in another show. So stay tuned for that. Um, but today we're going to focus in on the big three. So so what are the big three? Well, you've got carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And it sounds relatively simple when we think about there just kind of being three parts, but it gets confusing. And um, unfortunately, there's a lot of noise out there in um, in, nut- in the nutrition land when we think about um, how much of each one of these we're supposed to be getting. And there's lots of different marketing strategies by, you know, by different areas um, that really are confusing for um, the average person when they are faced with trying to build a meal or trying to meet their health goals um, according to um, what they put on their plate. So the big three, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, what do they do? Like, why are we talking about them? Well, in essence, those three things provide energy and building blocks for for our body to function. And we're going to talk about what each one of those things do specifically, kind of as we go through them. But it's easy to kind of just think about them in terms of energy, right? They each have a calorie um, number associated with them. And calories are a unit of energy that we use to do the work of living. Okay, so how much should we be getting, right? Well, that really depends on who you ask. There's Everybody has an opinion about how much carb you should have, how much fat, how much protein. But if we look at the uh, dietary guidelines for Americans, right? And so those are, are updated and we have a, a brand new set that um, came out very, very recently. Um, but it gives us a general kind of guide to look at, right? And so in general, we want about 45 to 65% 
of our calories, of our daily caloric intake, to be from a carbohydrate source. Okay? About 20 to 35% from fat and about 10 to 35% from protein. So those are kind of wide ranges in there. Why do we have such um, wide um, kind of um, percentages when we look at these three macronutrients? Well, it's going to vary depending on your individual goals, right? Whether you're trying to lose weight maintain weight, gain weight, whether you're, uh, you're kind of your activity level, right? So whether you're relatively sedentary or um, you're very, very active and then anywhere along the continuum of those things, whether you're trying to, you know, really build muscle um, for, you know, whatever reason, and then medical conditions that you have, right? Maybe we're trying to uh, control diabetes or work on your cholesterol levels or your blood pressure levels, um, or maybe you have uh, liver or kidney disease. That's going to impact kind of how we break out these macronutrients. And so I say all those things to kind of highlight the fact that there's no one specific kind of diet or calorie count that is going to be applicable for everyone, okay? That's why I really do encourage you, um, if you're thinking about making a dietary change, to speak to your healthcare provider uh, or a registered dietitian. They are the experts in, uh, in nutrition to help you determine what your calorie count should be in relationship to all the other things that I mentioned, right? Any medical conditions you have, any medicines that you are on, because that can affect what types of foods you should or shouldn't be eating on the regular. Um, and whether, uh, you know, what kind of actual calorie amount that you need, dependent on all of those different kinds of things. So it's very easy to kind of Google a 1,500-calorie diet, right? But is that what you need to be eating to meet the goals that you are trying to achieve. It may not be, okay? So it's important to kind of seek some guidance and counseling um, from a qualified healthcare provider and professional to help you do those things. So um, if we think about the breakdown I just gave you there, the next question I always ask myself is, well, what are we getting, right? What are we as Americans getting? And actually, we look pretty good when we just look at the the percentage breakdown. So this is the average adult American, okay, um, male and female combined. Uh, about 46 to 48% of our calories uh, are achieved through carbohydrate intake, about 16% through protein, and about 35% through fat. So if you jotted down those recommended ranges that I mentioned a minute ago, which were 45 to 65 for carbohydrates, 20 to 35 from fat, and 10 to 35 from protein, we're landing in those, right? So that should make you scratch your head. Right, because we know that uh, adult Americans have a high number of chronic disease, right? And a lot of those are chronic diseases that can be tied back to lifestyle from what we're eating, how we're moving, our sleep, our stress, uh, alcohol, those types of things all rolled up into one. So if we're meeting these guidelines, why do we have so much chronic disease? Well, not all carbs are created equal, not all fats are, and not all proteins are. So we need to see 
what we're actually eating in those groups to determine whether it's pushing us towards health or it may be hindering that a little bit. So there's actually um, a, a kind of a, a calculation score out there called the Healthy Eating Index. And it looks at kind of a, a set of food, right? So what someone is eating and how that ranks next to the dietary guidelines, right? That focus on fruits and vegetables and grains and lean proteins, those types of things. And the maximum score is 100 and the lowest score is zero. And so the average score of Americans, all ages, all genders is 58, right? So if you think about that as 58%, right, we, we're kind of failing there um, when you look at that number. And so what is the high and what is the low? Uh, actually, the highest score of any age group is in our little ones, ages two to four, and their, their score is 62. So it's not that great as well. Uh, and the lowest is 49, which is in our kiddos 14 to 18 years of age, right? So uh, we really got some work to do when it comes to getting in uh, quality nutrition in our adolescents. So that average score of 58, right, how, does they, how do they get to that, right? Well, there's two kind of buckets that they look at. One is called an adequacy score. And so that tells us how well we're doing in terms of the things we should be eating, like fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. And then there's a moderation score. So that tells us how well we're doing in terms of things we should eat less of, like sodium and saturated fat, right? And so they look at those things. And unfortunately, we score relatively low on fruits, veggies, and grains. Um, and we score, so the moderation score is low, which actually means a high consumption because we don't want to be consuming these of things like sodium and saturated fat. So while we overall may be hitting these big targets um, of the percent of our calories that are coming from these macronutrients, when we really dig into what we're consuming, we're choosing things that are kind of pushing us closer to chronic disease and less away from health. All right, we're going to dive into carbohydrates in just a second, but I do want to circle back around and talk about calories um, very briefly uh, and nutrition labels. So when you um, flip a package over and look at the nutrition labels, first of all, kudos for looking at the nutrition label. It's got lots of great information on it that we want you looking at. Um, but you'll often see percentages on there. So you'll see maybe total carbohydrates um, and a percentage and total protein and a percentage, those kinds of things. What does that percent mean? Where do we come up with it? Uh, well, that percent is saying the percent of your daily calories right there. But remember that nutrition labels are based off a 2,000 calorie per day diet, right? And that is, it harkens back to what I mentioned at the beginning that no one specific diet or calorie count is going to fit every single person. But from a public health standpoint, um, 2000 was kind of that average amount uh, that was kind of thrown out there. If you're trying to lose weight, um, 2000 and you're a female, 2000 calories may be way too much for you. If you're male and trying to bulk up and, and um, get 
gain more muscle, then that may not be enough calorie for you. So just know that if it says this is 20% of your total daily value of something, that's based off the fact that you were eating 2,000 calories. So it will be different if you are, uh, if that's not your calorie goal there. All right, we do have a uh, caller on the line, so we will go and talk with Cameron. Good morning, Cameron. How can I help you? I'm calling because I'm curious about how to lower cholesterol. Uh, I'm in my 20s. I just turned 27, and I got blood work done, and I forget. I know there's two different types of cholesterol, like HDL and LDL, and both of them were above range, and especially for my age, that sort of freaked me out um and i know exercise is one way and i know like fish is a good source of good fats but i was also wondering like carbohydrates and things like that what should i how should i try to change my diet and to try to get that lowered yeah absolutely it's a wonderful question um and you're you're correct there are kind of two components to cholesterol that we generally look at, the HDL and the LDL. Um, HDL, we actually want to be a little bit high. We're always talking about how we make HDL go higher because um, that's kind of the, the protective cholesterol. Um, and then LDL, we want to be lower, right? And so you can remember that by thinking H higher, L lower um, is how we want those. And so exercise absolutely you're correct helps with that in particular exercise can be really good for helping to raise that hdl cholesterol when we're looking for nutritional strategies to try and lower the ldl we want to look at our general overall pattern right there's not any miracle food as much as i wish there were that we could just add to our diet that will um, kind of dramatically change things it's all about the balance and and what we are consuming right so if we're having a a diet that's very high in processed foods lots of added saturated fats and cholesterols you know just adding um, a fish is not going to get us where we where we need to be right so yeah (laughs) so i wish it was that easy um and really the reason why fish is is good for those types of things is because they're rich in omega-3 fatty acids right um, and right. so um, there are other sources of omega-3s as well, um, uh, walnuts, flax seeds, um, hemp seeds, those kinds of things are high in omega-3s. Um, but again, it's about that pattern overall. So when we're trying to lower cholesterol, we want to look at do we have a bunch of added um, sugars in our diet because it seems counterintuitive, but actually sugar increases inflammation and can drive some of these, um, especially triglyceride levels being too high. So do we have a bunch of added right. sugars, right? Do we have a bunch of refined grains? So, you know, your white breads, your um, sugar sweetened beverages, uh, your um, kind of packaged baked goods that are, um, you know, largely based off of, of, of non-whole grain products. And then do we have a lot of added fats, right? And in particular, animal-based fats. So uh, red meat, dairy, uh, butter, those kinds of things. The the conglomeration of all those things together um, usually kind of set us up for having some, some high cholesterol issues. Those are unfortunately all of my favorite foods. I think you just listed them all. <laughs> well, the good news uh, is you're not alone, right? That is the, the standard way that we eat um, here in America. But the good news is you don't have to be perfect. Right. We just have to be intentional about what we choose and try and think about how we balance. Right. So if you really enjoy, um, you know, meat and 
dairy and cheese still have those just in smaller amounts and not all at one time, right? You know, because it just adds too much all at at one time. And we really need to increase our fruit and veg because that's where the fiber is, right? And fiber helps lower that bad cholesterol. So when I have folks who don't maybe eat that much fruit and veggie on the front end, we focus on just adding one fruit and one vegetable per day. Right. And that's a good place to start and make a list of ones that, you know, you like and then ones that, you know, you don't like. And don't try and force yourself to eat ones, you know, you don't like just because somebody told you they were healthy. I see that all the time in, in folks. And that's just not helpful. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for your help. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for giving us a call today. All right. That leads me um, into talking about carbohydrates. And carbohydrates is a big umbrella term, and it is broken down. um, So I like to think of it as how they come, right? So if we think about what it is, carbohydrates, how they come, starches, sugars, and fibers, right? That's kind of how we can break down carbohydrates. And not all of those are created equal, right? Um, Starches, we can have um, refined uh, starches. We can have more complex starches. Sugars, we can have naturally occurring sugars that uh, are just part of the food as it is grown. And then we can have sugars that we add to things to make them sweeter. And I include, when I say added sugars, I'm not talking about just plain white sugar, because um, we always tell people, right, white products are, are not good for us and brown products are. Well, brown sugar is not any better for us in terms of added sugar content. And then your things like agave, maple syrup, um, honey, those are still added sugars when we're adding them to things, right? They may not have quite as impact on on, um, glycemic load, and they may not have as much impact on underlying inflammation, but we're still adding sweetness to things. Um, And then fibers, right? And fiber is something that we largely as a... um, as a species, do not get enough of. I'm not even going to limit that to just Americans. Just humans in general don't get enough fiber. And as I mentioned to Cameron um, during his call, fiber is one of those things that helps us lower cholesterol. Fiber in a food is also not... um, like digested and available to like raise your blood sugar. So when we look at carbohydrate counts, I always want to see where are those carbs coming from? Are they coming from sugars? Are they coming from fiber and those kinds of things? Because if it's coming from fiber and it's a big chunk of it is coming from fiber, then I am, uh, you know, less concerned about how that's going to impact blood glucose. All right, so the take-home when we're talking about carbohydrates is that the quality of the carb is more important than the number. I know a lot of people get very um, kind of in, kind of fixated on what's the number of these things that I should be eating, right? Um, and that may be appropriate if we're trying to match medications, in particular insulin, to our meals and, and do carb counting that way, but... In general, um, the the quality of the carb is going to trump the number uh, that we're trying to meet any day of the week, right? Um, so it's more important that each carbohydrate comes from a whole food source as much as possible than to follow a very strict, restrictive diet. Again, unless that is something that is being medically delivered to you by your healthcare provider. 
So I have kind of five tips for adding healthier carbohydrates to your diet. And the first one is to try a whole grain for breakfast. I know a lot of people don't eat breakfast, at least a lot of the people that come to see me as patients. When I'm doing dietary recall, they'll say, well, I skip it. Right. Um, And I usually follow that up with tell me tell me why you're skipping breakfast, right? Is it a time issue? Is it a I'm not hungry issue? Is it a I don't know what to eat during this time? Um, and, it, and it's often a combination of all of those different types of things. But when we look at all the people um, on the National Obesity Registry who have lost at least 20 pounds and kept it off, the majority of those, about 80 percent, eat breakfast, right? So it can be a really good strategy for kicking your day off right with some good nutrients. So trying a whole grain for breakfast, what does that mean, right? Well, a lot of times people think that means it has to be oatmeal, and it doesn't, right? It absolutely can be oatmeal. I love oatmeal. I have it almost every single day, but it doesn't have to be. Maybe you're a cold cereal kind of person because that's really easy to grab and kind of get out the door with. Well, we want to make sure that our cereal is truly a whole grain and that it's not coated in a bunch of extras that maybe, uh, and I'm talking about added sugars here. So in general, look for a cereal with at least four grams of fiber per serving and no more than eight grams of sugar per serving, right? So again, look at the nutrition label and look and see what it says a serving is. And then think about how much you consume of that when you do it, right? Some of these cereals are kind of kind of small on the serving size. So you may need to add some other things to beef that up. But in general, um, more than four, four or more grams of fiber and eight or less grams of sugar. All right, tip to Tip two is switch to a whole grain bread, right? So if you're making a sandwich for lunch, swap out that white bread for a whole grain bread. How do you know if it's whole grain? Well, again, flip it over, go to the ingredient list, and the first ingredient should say whole something. Whole wheat, whole oat, um, you know, whole or just say whole grain there. That means that it's a whole grain product, right? It can often say 100% whole wheat, something like that. Tip three um, is add a grain to your salads, all right? And people often look at me kind of kind of funny when I say that. They're like a grain to my salad. So it's not something we typically put in a salad, right? But we put croutons in there, right? Which again is is a carbohydrate, right? So I'm asking you to switch that crouton maybe for a whole grain, um, something like uh, a quinoa or a barley or a brown rice um, in there and really think of it more like a like a bowl at this point if it stresses you out thinking about that as a salad and having grain in your salad but adding that in can be a really um, a really good way to do that right Um, thinking about switching out your pastas right so if you're normally doing a white pasta switching that out for a whole grain pasta again how do you know Flip it over and look at that ingredient label, and it should say 100% whole grain or whole wheat um, in there. If you're having difficulty switching to that, mix it. Do half um, regular pasta and half whole grain pasta as you get 
used to it, right? And so it because it is going to be a little bit chewier, a little bit nuttier in taste. So swapping that um, can be, um, or, or mixing those together can be a good way to kind of gradually add those things in. Because remember, we're not about perfection, just about being intentional. Um, and the last um, kind of tip I have for carbohydrates is to choose a whole fruit, a whole fruit instead of fruit juice. Now, I'm I'm not hating on fruit juice. It just gets rid of all the fiber when we juice a fruit, right? When you juice it, you throw away um, all the fiber and all you're left with is the water, the vitamins and minerals and the naturally occurring um, sugar. And I know you're listening and thinking, but you said naturally occurring sugar is fine. And it is. It's just easy to overconsume calories when you drink them right? Because you drink them very, very quick. And so when we look at a whole fruit versus a juice, an orange has twice the fiber and half the sugar as a glass of orange juice, okay? Because you're having to stop and chew it and slow down. And it takes many, many, many oranges to get a glass of orange juice. All right, I hope those tips helped you out. Today, we're breaking down the macronutrients and how you can um, add more quality to your plate without restricting your quantity because uh, nobody wants to be hungry and how we can do all of those things as we achieve our health goals. So we've been talking about um, carbohydrates um, and we're going to start talking about proteins next. But if you have a question or a comment for us about anything kind of nutrition related, you can always email me fit at mpbonline.org. And I actually did have um, a question that came in through Facebook that asked about smoothies. So they were listening and we were talking about um, how juice is may not be what we want to utilize the majority of the time, especially if we're trying to lose weight, as you can quickly overconsume um, calories and sugar that way. So what about a smoothie? Well, if you're leaving the peel on the vet, the fruits that you're throwing in there, if it is something that you can eat the peel on, that's going to help increase the fiber. And so kind of blending that whole fruit um, is going to help beef up the fiber and, um, and keep you fuller. You still can consume those relatively quickly, right? So you still can slurp them down pretty quick. So we have to be a little bit careful with those. And I want to make sure that you don't leave out the other uh, macronutrients when we do a smoothie. A lot of times I see people just do fruits, vegetables, and maybe a fruit juice in the smoothie. And that's not going to fill you up for very long, right? So we want to make sure that we add some protein and some fat in there. So maybe throwing some Greek yogurt in there if you enjoy that, or some peanut butter, um, or some avocado. Um, or a protein powder if you feel like you need that, although I tend to shy away from those as my go-to, but trying to make sure you balance those. And then I love to make it into a smoothie bowl, right? So you pour that out into a bowl and maybe add some other good toppings on top of that, some more cut up fruit, maybe some nuts and seeds, those kinds of things, and eat it with a spoon because it makes you slow down. And if you think I'm um, weird, just go ahead and Google yourself smoothie bowls. They're pretty doggone popular um, and they really are a good way to just slow down and enjoy your food. All right, let's go ahead and um, head over to the phone lines and talk with uh, Daryl from Raymond this morning. Hello, how can I help you? Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you shouldn't eliminate any one food group, mm-hmm. and I found myself eliminating carbohydrates, and it reduced my inflammation, and I felt better. 
So I'm sort of conflicted. So I was wondering, is there any type carbs that I can uh, consume in small quantities to still fulfill that total food circle without eating too many of the wrong type and inflame my joints and things again? That's an excellent question. And yes. So the reason that your inflammation went down is probably because you got rid of those refined carbohydrates, right? That you were having more of the um, packaged products and really the added sugars and those kinds of things. And that greatly reduces inflammation. But one of our biggest inflammation, inflammation reducers are antioxidants. And those are in fruits and vegetables. So thinking about things like berries, which are a great addition to an anti-inflammatory diet, especially things like blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, those kinds of things. Your dark green leafy vegetables are another great source of antioxidants, um, as well as your things that are red and purple. So purple onions and red bell peppers and really the whole rainbow of things there. So it's fine to cut back on your refined carbohydrate products. I can absolutely endorse that. But what you're missing out on when you eliminate all carbohydrates is the fiber. And that's really what's so important for maintaining heart health and gut health. And then you're missing out on a lot of the antioxidants and um, vitamins and minerals when you eliminate those. Okay. Thank you. That answers my question. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving us a call today. I really appreciate that. And it was a wonderful question. And it's something that I wholeheartedly agree with when we, when, you know, I get a lot of people who uh, want to try the ketogenic diet and they, and, you know, I kind of push back on them a little bit on that. Um, but what I can definitely agree with is, is getting rid of the junk or cutting back on the junk. So our, you know, chips and um, cookies and cakes and added um, sweetened products, those kinds of things you are going to feel better and you are going to lose weight when you do those kinds of things. But we don't want to um, do damage from another perspective, maybe increasing cholesterol and those kinds of things um, just because we're trying to cut carbs out, right? We want to do that in a healthy, balanced way. And that kind of brings me to protein, right? Because we have a love affair with protein um, in this country and we all, almost everyone, in America gets enough protein. Now, when you think about protein deficiencies, those do happen, but those are largely in folks who have a like a, an absorption disorder, like some kind of genetic absorption disorder, or um, you know, like a, a metabolism uh, error, or that are in um, impoverished areas, developing countries, those kinds of things where there is a lot of food insecurity. Now, we absolutely have food insecurity here um, in America, but when we again. Again, if we think back to that healthy eating index that I mentioned in the first segment and the scores about where we land in terms of getting enough of something, we scored a five out of five on protein. So the average American is not deficient in protein. The average American consumes way more protein than we need. So how does protein come? Well, it comes in an animal or a plant. Right. Um, so uh, we can we tend to think about the animal source. If I said name a protein, most people are going to come right back to me with chicken. That's what they're going to say to me. Um, and it absolutely is a great source of protein, but it does come with other things in that nutrient package. Um, why do we need protein? Well, we need them to build 
new proteins in our body. So to grow and repair things, right? To grow our muscles, repair injuries that we've had to our skin and our muscles, to make hormones and enzymes, and really to be the the foundation and building blocks for our muscles, our skin, our hair, organs, all those different kinds of things. So they are absolutely essential. But how much do we really need, right? Well, uh, it's about 0.8 grams per kilogram, right, is kind of the minimum that we need. Usually the range is given 0.8 to 1 um, grams per kilogram. So what does that mean uh, in pounds, right? Well, if we just say the average, you know, an average of a 200-pound person, how much is that? Well, it's about 72 grams, right, of protein. And most people largely consume way more than that. So before I dig down into the difference between animal and plant-based protein and that nutrient package, I do want to head over to the phones because Mikey and Mobile has been hanging on for us. Good morning, Mikey. How can I help you? Hey, good morning. And thank you again for a wonderful educational, <laughs> um, continuing education because we all keep learning, hopefully, right? Yes, ma'am. Um, My pleasure. <laughs> uh, mine is... Uh, I'm sorry. I know this is really corny. Is it Vitamita Vegemin or Vegemita Vitamin? <laughs> We're going way back. Yeah, to, uh, that one I don't know. Lucy show. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. Okay. But, I mean, I think that was one of her classics. And for some reason, that keeps popping in my mind yeah. over and over during this, what you've been educating us yeah. about. You know, mm-hmm. the balance of all of it and the preparation of it, of mm-hmm. course, changes things. And I know that you know a great deal more than I. I've been thinking about the possibility of going ahead and trying um, an air fryer because, first of all, it would, it would hopefully knock down the fat some, the fat consumption, um, and still let me keep the uh, the carbohydrate, which is the veggies and, and the you know plant based stuff like that. Um, and if if for those who might cook uh, who don't want they want meat, you know, give me meat, 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 meat. <laughs> you know? um, uh, is please. Help me. Absolutely. And you can't see me, but I gave a, a touchdown sign in here when you said air fryer because it is probably my most favorite um, kitchen appliance that I have. And I have very I have a lot of kitchen appliances, but me I do I have lots that I don't really use. But I use my air fryer probably at least three times a week um, because it is so easy to use. It gives you that crunch uh, that we uh-huh. like so much in our food. Without all the added fat, right? Now, I have seen some air fryer recipes where people still heap the fat on those things, and I'm thinking that kind of defeats the purpose. But you you don't need any oil for a majority of things that you cook in the air fryer. Um, But if you do, really just like a spritz. Like I just have a little spritz bottle of avocado oil that sometimes I will um, spritz on things there. But the air fryer is wonderful for starches, so like a potato, sweet potato, Uh that kind of thing. (laughs) Yes. 
And then also really, really yummy for your green kind of firmer veggies. So broccoli, um, uh, asparagus, green beans. Again, I just give them a spritz with some avocado oil and then toss them in black pepper and garlic powder and a little tiny sprinkle of salt and throw them in. I usually do on about 375 for about 10 to 12 minutes, depending on how big the vegetable is. And they are just yummy and delicious when they come out of there. So I I love an air fryer. May I ask one more question? Sure. Um, being that I am in Mobile, and we have a heat index of 105 today. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Now, you know, I, it, 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 most of that is due to humidity. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if, if we were in Arizona, it might be different. But it might not lately either. either right. you know? But um, But my interest is, and since I already got all these gadgets that I, you know, I'm not even going to invest in another stove. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep going. And that's why, thank you for the advice. I Absolutely. think I'm going to go for the air fryer. But um, my question is, of course, the thing about something like that is you can take it outside on a little porch or patio and use it, right? You could. Yeah, you'd want to make sure that you've, you know, you've got a safe place to stick it and, you know, a good power source and that kind of stuff. But it does not really heat your kitchen up um, when that you use that. It. Yeah. That was the question. Yep. Yes. Oh, you are you are so wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And thank you for giving us a call today. I appreciate it. We started to talk about protein and I want to finish that quickly. The source of the protein matters, right? Nutrient packages matter. None of these macronutrients exist in isolation with themselves. So um, when you choose a protein, it comes with other stuff. And so we want to make sure that other stuff it comes with is um, meeting what our health goals are. And so I think the best way to do that is to kind of compare a couple of choices, right? So sirloin steak, all right, or a red meat. So a four ounce serving of that is about 33 grams of protein. That's a a fair amount of protein, especially if we think back to um, that 200-pound person needing about 72 grams per day, right? That's a good chunk of it. Uh, But it also comes with 5 grams of saturated fat and no fiber, okay? What about ham, right? So ham is a little less protein for the same amount, right, Um, for the same 4 ounces. 22 grams of protein, less fat, 1.6 grams of saturated fat. No fiber again, but then almost 1,500 milligrams of sodium. And if you have high blood pressure, that's your daily goal is 1,500, right? Right there in that one food item. What about fish? We had a caller who asked earlier about fish. So that same four ounces of fish, uh, salmon, um, 30 grams of protein, one gram of saturated fat, so not looking bad, 66 milligrams of sodium, again, not bad at all. No fiber, right? So out of all three of those, the fish is going to be our better bet, right? If we're trying to cut back on saturated fat, um, salt, um, and and still get a good amount of protein, right? But what if we put in a plant-based protein there? So maybe a lentil. So a serving of lentils, you're going to have 18 grams of protein in that. So we're talking a cup of lentils here, 18 grams of protein, virtually no saturated fat, virtually no fat at all, but in particular saturated fat, almost no sodium, right? Like, you know, four or five milligrams of sodium, Um, 40 grams of carbohydrates, right? So we are now having some carbohydrate where the other ones did not have any, but 15 grams of that are fiber, 
right? So what does this look like when we build a meal, right? So let's say we build a plate with um, the uh, salmon and um, maybe quinoa and broccoli, right? So we're still going to get some good fiber from that, some good protein from that. But if we switch that salmon out and put the sirloin steak there, now we're automatically going to get a whole lot more um, saturated fat. And if we put the ham in, we would have a whole lot more sodium that we added to that. If we did our lentils in this case, right, and we did lentils, we did a half a cup of quinoa, we did a cup of broccoli, we're going to wind up with 25 grams of protein because there is protein in broccoli, although people don't don't tend to think about it. It's in there. Um, there's certainly uh, protein in that quinoa, right? We're going to wind up with uh, 19 and a half grams of fiber from that, two grams of fat, um, and 66 carbs overall. But again, almost 20 grams of that is fiber, right? So from a net carb perspective, we're only going to have about 46.5. So that's going to keep you full because it's packed full of fiber, right? It's going to help with that cholesterol. It's going to help with that gut health and helping you have a nice good bowel movement, all of those different kinds of things. So again, it doesn't mean you have to eat that every meal, right? But if we uh, make the majority of our proteins plant-based and then we add in some of those things like the fish, right? We're able to stay under um, a fat and a sodium, um, uh, you know, goal while also having lots of fiber and antioxidants. All right. In the last few minutes of the show, I want to touch on fat because it is a very misunderstood macronutrient. But how do they come? Well, they come saturated, unsaturated, and trans. And we do need them. You need fat in your diet. It supplies us with fatty acids that we can't make. It helps us absorb our fat-soluble vitamins, which are vitamins A, D, E, and K. Um, It also helps to insulate and protect us, help us regulate our body temperature and protect our organs. And it's pretty doggone important for building a cell membrane and maintaining cellular function. So again, the take home is the type matters. And so does the nutrient package, right? So we want to look for unsaturated fats instead of saturated. Saturated are largely going to be solid at room temperature. So butter, Crisco, um, coconut oil, those kinds of things. They're usually animal-based, but there are two plant-based sources of saturated fat. That's coconut and palm oil. Um, Be wary of shelf-stable baked items, right? Um, Trans fat is hidden in a lot of those because it makes it shelf-stable, makes that oil shelf-stable in there. Um, And so a lot of you will say, well, my package says uh, zero trans fats. Well, legally, they can label it as zero trans fat as long as it has less than half a gram per serving. But serving sizes are often small, and we eat more than what it says a serving size is. So if you eat four servings of that, and it has up to a half a gram in it, then you are consuming some trans fat. So be be cautious about, again, those packaged um, baked goods that are shelf-stable and things like refrigerated um, doughs and biscuits and that kind of stuff. 
Um, and again, those omega-3s are very, very important. And so we mentioned sources of omega-3s earlier in the show, one being um, fish, and in particular those cold water, um, fattier fishes like salmon, tuna, mackerel, those kinds of things. But there's also omega-3 uh, fatty acids in plant-based foods like walnuts, um, flax seeds, chia seeds, um, hemp seeds, those kinds of things. Remember on your flax seeds, seeds that you need to grind those up um, into a powder before you use them. If you consume the flax whole, then um, it will not digest and get absorbed. And so you won't be getting the health benefits of that particular product there. This hour has flown by. We had lots of great questions and comments, and I always enjoy talking about nutrition with you guys. If you didn't get your question in today or you want more information about any of the things we talked about, please email me, fit at mpbonline.org. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.